Hey, good morning and welcome to October. It is October. Can you believe it? This I can not believe it. I know. There's I a know. lot of exciting stuff happening. October's the best. Riley's birthday's on Tuesday. Still need to buy a present. Um, we got playoff baseball. There's absolute chaos. If you don't like baseball, pay attention today because this is going to be the craziest day of baseball that anyone will ever see or the most boring day of baseball that anyone will ever see. It's, it's, I'm telling you, I'm, it, there's something so romantic about baseball coming into the playoffs, beginning of October, all this fall season. I, I, I don't know. I love it. And you get to do, one. I think, one of the funnest things a social studies teacher gets to do. Next week, you're, you're heading to Washington, right? Yes. So 3.30 a.m. on Friday. Uh. <laughs> I get to get on a bus and then go to the airport and go with a bunch of eighth graders to Washington. That's fantastic. It's going to be great. That, that's actually, that's the age that I went. I was, yeah. I was in eighth grade when I went to Washington, and it was, it was such a memorable trip. Yeah. It was really, really cool. It's going to be cool for me because I... I only went to Washington for the first time two summers ago. Uh, Riley and I did a, tri a baseball trip out east, and we stopped at the National Mall and, and did Gettysburg. And unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff closed in Washington right now. But uh, they've kind of altered the, the plan, and we're doing a lot of stuff. We're getting to go to Gettysburg again. So having been there, I'll be able to actually have like some real conversations with kids about stuff. And it, I don't know. I'm excited. That, I'm, I'm so glad Shannon does that. that that's just a... It's a really great thing to yeah. do with eighth graders. Get to see see all that up front and personal. Yeah. It's really great. Mm -hmm. I'm actually on a little trip myself this week. Uh, I'm involved with the board at Green Lake. And uh, some of the things going on this year, they want to do some extra work in terms of revamping the board. So we're going to meet with somebody in Boise, Idaho. It's kind of, go to Boise. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Yeah. I don't, you don't hear too often like, hey, I'm going to Idaho. <laughs> Well, I actually Bring talked about hiding in Idaho a couple weeks ago, so I, true. Can, I can go check true. places out. But, but you anyway, should, you should bring uh, some of our potatoes to exchange for this. Right, exactly. This is a potato. You people don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, so yeah, it's going to be going to be a fun week all the way around. You you got your uh, update yesterday, and there were there were some really cool things going on in here. The first one, of course, is that. We did baptisms all of September, and it just wasn't enough. So now we're stretching <laughs> into October. Yeah. I love it. I just love it. In between services today at about 10 after 10, we'll be doing a baptism right outside by the gym doors. And then we're just going to be watching the weather. We're, we're watching to see what happens with rain and what happens with lightning. We have determined that lightning doesn't give you extra credit with baptisms, so we're not, we're not going to do a lightning baptism. We might do a light rain baptism. We'll see on that. You're getting wet anyway. But um, so both services today, after the services, we'll have more people getting baptized, That's which awesome. we're just really, really, really excited about that. And then there are some events coming up that are some new things. If, if you looked at the update yesterday, one of them is a, a blood drive coming up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've in the past invited Versity Blood Center out to host a, a blood drive because we have a very uh, personal relationship mm -hmm. with with. Uh, people who donate blood. Our yeah. Grandpa got a couple extra years out of uh, life, and we got to spend more time with him because of all the people who do donate blood. So it's, it's been a personal issue for us. Uh, so we're actually inviting them out, and with all their 
COVID rules, we're doing in the parking lot, right? Right, right. We're, we're actually using the, the, the truck for a change. Yeah. So instead of coming into the building, it'll be the, it'll be the, the blood van. I don't yeah. know what they call that. But anyway. <laughs> I don't know that that's... A I don't think they blood call it drive, the blood van. Anyway. <laughs> the blood van sounds like something you're going to get kidnapped in. Uh, I don't know. It just seemed appropriate in October, <laughs> Vampire Month. Anyway. Oh, boy. So, yeah. So uh, we need you to get signed up for that if you're going to do that. And you can go to that link, pick a time. They also, they have regular regular givers, and then they have the double givers. Yep. I think there are five opportunities, which we're both typically double people, which is kind of fun. And yep, and last the last time we did this, uh, I lost in my race to Bob Coyne, and this year, I vow revenge. Well, you didn't know the rule, right? You were You were squeezing wrong or doing something. You did something they told you not to. I can't remember what it was. I'm dumb. They give you these these stress balls and they say squeeze, okay? Squeeze like like this. Just keep squeezing. Pump. Pump. Yeah. yeah. And I went like this. And I held on like that for almost 20 minutes. <laughs> it was a great workout. And when oh yeah, I couldn't open as, my as hand the blood for the next dripped two hours. out of your vein. <laughs> Lady came over, she's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "Yes, I'm fine, but I can't squeeze this any harder." She's like, "Let go." <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'm dumb, but it's okay. So, yeah, so this time, now he's dump, 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 let's go, let's go, that's cool. So, uh, the other thing that was added that's really exciting, a, a new journey group mm -hmm. that involves some exercise. So, Pilates. Pilates group opening up. I love it, absolutely yeah. love it. And I'd join if I could touch my toes, but I can't, so. <laughs> that is, it's a pap curse, I'm not <laughs> telling you. I, I, I'm telling you, we just, something wrong with our legs. So, yeah. anyway, the details are there for that. And uh, as well as a registration link. And then the couple of events that we've already had up there, the Fall Fest and, and the ladies' event in November. In case you are interested in shooting, this Thursday is our next um, trap table. I don't remember the third one. Oh, man, this is bad. It's our next shotgun round. Uh, so we're going on to dive into the indoor trap range, and uh, we'll be hanging out there for uh, trap training table. There we go. There you go. Uh, so, so for our... Little time they got a hog wild there, so we get a little barbecue in, get a little Bible study in, get a little shooting in. Uh, so that's this Thursday. And for that, if you haven't signed up, again, we're doing it once a month, uh, but we'd love to have you come out for that because, again, you need to see how good Greg Gearman is at shooting a shotgun, it's unbelievable. Um, so we've got that going on, and next week, because I won't be here, we'll be coming back uh, Sunday afternoon from DC, we are still going to have Revive, and it sounds like we're going to do a little photo scavenger hunt. So we're going to send out uh, some details on that, but that will involve our kids driving around the area to go take different pictures with different things like fish mailboxes, uh, things like that. So they're, they're going to be running around the area. I, like I said, I'll send out more info after we talk with our team tonight and get everything hammered out, but that's, that's what's coming up for, for students. I do believe somehow we always end up being a stop on this tour. I believe, I believe whether you want to or not, whether you want to or not, <laughs> you, we're somehow stopping this tour. So yep. very, very excited about, about seeing and getting pictures and, and all that fun. So anything else going on that we need to know about? I don't think so. No. Well, I'd like to go ahead and break in then to the scripture readings of the day. And these two passages, um, they just, they take us right back to the absolute fundamentals, both of, um, what it means to be a devoted Christ follower and what it means to be a church that's fully devoted to following Christ. So we're going to look at both of them today. Uh, they, are, they are just the absolute fundamentals 
Uh, Matthew 28, of course, these are the last words Jesus is speaking before he ascends to heaven. Final words, I always say this, I mean, final words matter. If, you, if you have a, you're telling a babysitter what to, do, what to do, the last couple of things you say before you leave, the final words matter so much. So getting Jesus' final words, uh, you know that these are words that are tremendously important. And then, of course, the picture over there in, in Acts chapter 2 of what it looks like when we live out Matthew 28. So if you'd read both of those for us, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thanks so much. God in heaven, uh, I express gratitude to you this morning for not leaving us to wonder why you placed us or your church in this world. I'm grateful that, that Jesus gave us instruction, right before he ascended to heaven, gave us instruction that made ever so clear, this is what it's all about. Don't miss this. This is what it's all about. And I'm grateful that you give us this, this picture of the, of the early church in, in what we might say is its, its purest form. This moment in time when, when the church was just absolutely filled with the Spirit, there, there, in a sense, had been no history, no nothing. It was just, here it is, and we get to see them live out what it means to be a, a disciple of Jesus Christ in a community of believers. I'm grateful that you give us these pictures because these are, these are pictures that we are to imitate. These are, these are images that we can look at and instructions we can look at to determine whether or not we are fulfilling your desires, to know whether or not we are truly on target or we're missing the mark. And so this morning, as we look at what are very familiar passages to us again, help us to look at ourselves and ask the question, are we truly being faithful disciples? Are we truly being a faithful church to you, Jesus? We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this coming Saturday, October 9th, is a significant birthday for us as a church we will turn 140 years old. And when you think about that, 140, that is not an insignificant birthday. That, that's, that's pretty consequential to have been around for that long. It's just, it kind of, it blows my mind away. I don't know what it does for you, but enjoying history, when I hear 140, I'm like, wow, that's a long time. A group of Swedish immigrants got together, and from what I read, there were 12 charter members they gathered together in, in the basement over at what was First Baptist Church in Joliet, now St. Anthony's Church. They gathered there to form a church. 
And they gathered in a season of 1881 that was a season of some tumult. There were some things going on in the world. I think it's important to have a sense of what was going on in the world to know the environment in which these people formed a church. It was one of the rare years that we had three presidents. We started with Rutherford B. Hayes, who decided he did not want to run for re-election again. And so there was an election, and, and James Garfield was elected. Back then, Inauguration Day wasn't in January, it was in March. And so Garfield becomes president, and he's president for a few months, and then he gets shot. Think about this. I mean, this is 1881. This is, this is within 20 years of Abraham Lincoln being shot. And so once again, the country is going through a president potentially assassinated. And ultimately in September, he dies and Chester Arthur takes over as president. So you have, you have kind of a, a tumultuous political environment taking place at the time that this church is formed. In that particular year, some, some eventful things took place, some fascinating things. You have Alexander Graham Bell, as well as um, Thomas Edison joining together, and they formed the first phone company. Can you imagine that? He was, they were employing future church secretaries. It's amazing. So they get the phone company going. In April, Billy the Kid escapes from prison, gets on the run. He's, he's headed on out. In May, Clara Barton founds the Red Cross. This is 1881. This is what's going on in the world. The Cincinnati Reds play their first baseball game in 1881. If I read correctly, the White Sox won their second championship in 1881. And in September 27th of 1881, the Cubs recorded the lowest attendance at a baseball game of all time with a record of 12. 12 people. And I suspect they were relatives. Anyway... Weird year, weird year. Guess what? By July, Billy the Kid is caught and shot. Done. October 26th, so think about this. This church forms on October 12th, 1881. October 26th, there's a gunfight at OK Corral. Two and a half weeks after the church starts, there's this gunfight at OK Corral, and you've got Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday doing their thing there at the OK Corral. These are, these are things that people in our church would have been looking at in a newspaper and reading. You know, here we thought it was just a Kevin Costner movie. This was real stuff. This was real stuff going on. It's crazy. That's the month that, that Phoenix became a city, as well as this little town that they used to refer to as Abilene Town. Yeah, that's right. Nate's Town, Abilene, Texas, became an actual city in 1881. This gives you an idea of, of just what was going on, the environment that was taking place when this group of people says, we're going to form a church. Now, the reality is, it was an ethnic church. It was a group of Swedes. They spoke Swedish. They were coming over from Sweden. My, my suspicion is to some degree, like many ethnic groups, they were a little bit insulated from what was going on in the country. They were, they were focused on surviving in a new land. But here we are just 20 years out from the Civil War, and this church gets started. These people come. They're looking for jobs. They head to the, the factories of Joliet, the steel mill, other places that they can get work. And, and they, begin, they begin this great work uh, of God that lasts for 140 years plus. They formed a little building. They, they bought a little building, actually built it. 1,500 bucks, build this little building, and in no time flat, they outgrow it. 
They've got to build a new one. And so they buy property over on Jackson Street in Joliet. And they, and they start to build a building, and, and they run out of money. Codes weren't then what they are now. They built the basement and, and ran out of money, so they put a lid on the basement, and they met there for several years. They just go ahead. The place was actually nicknamed the cellar or the prison, if you can imagine that. Let's go to prison. Okay, woo. So anyway, there they were meeting, and then finally they raised the funds to be able to uh, go ahead and build the rest of the structure. You can see pieces of that structure on our church property. When that, when that building was, was ripped down in the mid-2014, uh, mid I think it was, 2013, um, we were able to get the two cornerstones, one that tells the date it was built, one that tells the name of the architect, and then a slab across the top that has the name First Swedish Baptist Church written there in Sweden. In Swedish. Pretty, pretty amazing time for them, a time of growth. The pastor who served the longest was there during that season. He served for 35 years. And here he is week after week after week speaking in Swedish. And something happens to that church that happens with literally every ethnic church. In time, they realized that their children were starting to speak a different language. Their children were starting to speak English. Their children were starting to be incorporated into the culture around them. These people loved Swedish. It, they love this language, and if you've had the chance to hear Swedish spoken outside of somebody like the Swedish chef on the Muppets, it's actually a beautiful language. Uh, there was a lady in my church growing up, her name was Edith Nelson. She had to have been well into her 80s. There was a, um, although everybody when you're a kid seems like they're in their 80s, she was probably 49, but anyway, <clears throat> we had a middle aisle, and she'd sit right here on the second row, first right on the inside there, had a hearing aid. They had these hearing devices in the church, so she'd have that going during church. And the pastor, every once in a while, would invite her to come up and sing a song in Swedish for us. And so we'd hear hymns sung in Swedish, and I was like, that's a beautiful language, a truly beautiful language. These people love their language, but they also love the mission that Jesus had given them of reaching people for Christ. And so they made, I think, one of the hardest decisions a church can possibly make. To say, we're going we're gonna to sacrifice our preferences and our desires to make sure there's a next generation. So they started the process of not every sermon being in Swedish. They went down to once a month. One Sunday a month would be Swedish week, and you'd hear a Swedish sermon. And then eventually it became just a Sunday school class that was the Swedish-speaking class. I think in that time, they, they demonstrated for us one of the most important values that we carry as a church. Always speak the generation's language and the generation to come. Always make sure that your language is understood by the generation that is and the generation to come. And they also gave us another important principle, and that is that your methods may morph, but the message does not. You remain faithful to the Word of God. You can speak in a different language and still convey the very same message. That church met on Jackson Street well into the 60s. And in the 60s, they had a decision to make because the building was getting older, needed a lot of repair. you got to think about it. When they started this building, they actually had a committee to determine who would come in and put coal in the furnace and who would come in and light the lights, literally, one at a time, lighting the lights. So they, they had this process, older building, what do we do? There was no parking. When the building was built, you walked or rode your horse to church. There was no parking. It was not an area that you could expand much. So they decide to look west. 
far, 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 far west. I mean, to a place they could not imagine. They looked out Black Road, almost to Essington. Essington back then was literally a gravel road in the 60s. It was not a paved road. They look all the way out there. They're looking at the corn of Joliet, and they're like, that's where we need to go. And so they find this this piece of property, four-acre piece of property, at the corner of the Glenwood subdivision, place that a couple of our people even live today. They find this piece of property, four acres. To them, that was, that was mind-blowing. This was so visionary, four acres. We, got, we can be here for many, many years to come. And they build a building and, and enjoy that building basically for another 40 years. During that season, one of the things that starts to become really evident is that the pattern of the church was that it, you know, it was never a really large church. It might get up to a couple hundred people, and then something would happen. A pastor would leave, a controversy would happen, there would be a crisis, and it would slip back to 100, and it would grow up a little bit again, and then it would slip back. And as you start looking at the history, what you, what you see is that outside of that pastor who stayed 35 years, and this guy who's been around for a little while, no pastor stayed more than 10. In fact, no pastor stayed more than 7. Most stayed two or three, maybe four years, and they were gone. And so you had this constant cycle of leadership taking place that just kind of kept the, it kept the church going, but it was limping. It was limping. You come to the early 90s, and once again, the question is there. What language are we going to speak? How are we going to declare the message of Jesus Christ to the world around us? The, the, the language that we were speaking was the church language of 1950, 1960, early 1970. You'd walk in and you were very familiar with old church. That's the language we were speaking. And the kids started speaking a different language. The kids were listening to different music and longing for something different in church. And there was actually a business meeting where a bunch of the younger people, and by kids I mean, you know, 45 and under. But anyway, the kids, the kids said, uh, we need to start changing our language. And there was a person at that time, well-respected member of our church, person people really loved, who stood up and said, this is who we are. This is who we've been. We're not going to change. If you don't like it, leave. And they did. About 100 people just said, see ya. We're gone. And now we were in crisis once again because we had chosen, rather than choosing for the future, we chose for ourselves. The crisis emerged, and basically what happened is now they said, we don't have a choice but change our language. And so in the mid-90s, a language change began. Things like Dale Hansen actually sitting and playing drums, if you can imagine that. I remember the first day, the first day Dale played drums was a little, if you ever watched WKRP, do you remember when Johnny Fever scratched the record, the needle across the record, and changed his, that's the way that morning felt when everybody went, what's going on here? And slowly but surely, a different language began being spoken, and as that language was spoken, we started to see growth in our church and change in our church. We started to see a new heart planted in our church. And for the first time in the history of our church, we started going beyond 100 and 200 into 300 and even 400. And I'll tell you what, if you've ever been over on Bethel Drive, 400 people in that tuna can, it was fun. 
I mean, we'd walk down that hallway, and we have pictures of people going up and down the steps, side by side, nice and tight. It It was really a fun season, a season that caused us to stay. It's time to start looking, looking and seeing if there's if there's a place that we can stretch our elbows a little bit and continue to reach people for Jesus Christ. We came across this piece of farmland here in Shanahan, part of the old Konjevich farm, 14 acres, 10 of it buildable, four of it wetland where we could wander and just enjoy the nature that God has given us. And, 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 and so in, in September of 2008, we, we made the bold move to say, let's move out and see what God does. And for seven years, we met in Shanahan Junior High. And I'm going to tell you, for me, the junior high years were some of the best years we shared. It, it was an amazing time when we, when we would literally pull church out of a box in 45 minutes. Boom. And we'd go and we'd worship together. And in that time, I think God did some of the final molding and crafting of our hearts to prepare us for this season here and now. We move in here uh, in December of 2014, Christmas Eve. And here we are already going on seven years. Can you believe it? I know some of you are going like, wait, wasn't that like last year that we, seven years, we've already been here and just enjoying the favor of God. And I'll tell you what, when you look at this past year, one of the things that, one of the um, dynamics of the church when it was founded, it was founded in the middle of an epidemic. Smallpox was sweeping through the Midwest. And here we are over the past year and a half enduring some of the exact same things that the people did when the church was started. And I think we did more than endure it. I think we actually flourished during that season. Part of the flourishing during that season was the number of people who came and said, you know, kind of tired of waiting for my church to open. I'm ready to get back to church. I'm ready to gather with God's people and we had people come during that season. And so I think it's really important as we, as we now walk into the next part, the next 140 years and beyond, that we stop for a couple weeks and say, who are we and what are we about? Because you might have come from another church, and that other church had different ways of doing things. They might have even had a different target altogether. What, what was important to them, you're going, huh, it's something different here at Southfield, and I don't quite get it. And so I want to go back and just just look at what does it mean to be the church of Jesus Christ? What does that look like? I have a couple of iconic images of us through the years. One of them is on the screen right now. I love that the move to the junior high pushed us back to the river. Just like the early days when, when people from our church were baptized in the Des Plaines River, here we are back at the river doing baptisms. Just an amazing opportunity out of that, one of, one of the first baptisms that we did was in 2010. And, and this picture, I, I just, I, this picture for me epitomizes us. This is what we're all about. So I went a little corny, borrowed from TV. We're going to spend a few weeks talking about this is us. This is who we are. This is who we are as a church. This is, this is what we're all about. You come to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It's known as the Great Commission. As I've said already this morning, final words of Jesus. His feet are are about to leave earth, and he wants it to be absolutely clear. Folks, this is what you're supposed to do while I'm gone. I'll always be with you. I'll come back. But while, while I'm physically not present with you, this is what it means to be Christ's church. 
I'm reminded of uh, Mr. Lombardi, who years ago coaching the team a little bit to the north, team wasn't quite understanding their mission, they were messed up, and he had one of those 101 football days where he picked up a football and said, gentlemen, this is a football. He wanted to get back to fundamentals. This is, this is our picking up the football and saying, if we're not doing this, we're not a church. We're a lot of great things, but we're not a church. Go into all the world make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You look at this passage, and when I'm with a group of people, we do this a lot of times in our, in our, in our classes where, where we're bringing new people in and just giving them an idea of what Southfield's all about. I ask them to look at this passage and find all the action words you can What are all the actions you see listed in this particular passage? For the sake of time today, I'm going to zero in on four particular actions that you see here. There's the word go, there's the word make, make disciples, there's baptizing and teaching. Four main actions that Jesus lists as part of the Great Commission. I want you to go, I want you to make disciples, I want you to be baptizing, and I want you to be teaching. So when you look at those words, every once in a while, I know some of you think, if I knew Greek, I'd have such a deeper understanding of the Bible. And I got to tell you that more often than not, when you're reading an English Bible, it sounds a lot like what you're reading in Greek. The advantage comes when you're able to know parts of speech. Now, some of you, you just got transported to grammar class and you're, you're like breaking out in hives, right? You're like, oh no, grammar. When, when you start breaking down the parts of speech, you start to get a little different idea of what's going on in this passage. So when you look at these four actions, what you find is that only one of them is a verb. Only one of them is actually a verb action word. The other three are participles. Now, if you're an English teacher, just go with me on this, okay? And you can lecture me later. But participles are to verbs what adjectives are to nouns. They help us, they define it. They help refine it. They help us to understand a little bit more about that word. So when you look at this passage, here's what you find. The verb is make disciples, He says, this is what you're supposed to be doing. If you're my church, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. That is your mission, period. The other three are participles, and participles tell us how to get the job done. So you're making disciples, how do you do it? And I love the fact that Jesus, he doesn't go on, you know, we don't have chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter on how to make disciples. He says, here's how it's done. You're going, you're baptizing, you're teaching to obey. That's it, clear, simple, now go make disciples. When we talk about making disciples, we'll refer sometimes to a person being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's a person who is becoming a disciple of Jesus. Some of the words that we use as well as have been used and are being used in church world these days to define discipleship, discipling are things like discipleship. You might have been in a discipleship class or a discipleship group. Life change. We talk about life change a lot. And by life change, I'm not just talking about behavior modification. This isn't just give up your bad habits or take on another good habit. This is, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. It really comes down to transformation. That we're completely different than who we were prior to Jesus. 
That often happens through the process of taking next steps. You also hear the word spiritual formation used a lot these days. All of these words are the equivalent of making a disciple. So that's what God is calling us to do, make disciples. And why this is important is because that is the mission. We, we didn't have to meet in a little room somewhere and say, what's the mission going to, of the church going to be? All we had to do was cut and paste. All we had to do is say, what did Jesus say the mission of the church is? That's our mission too. Period. Done. Nothing further to be said. If that's what Jesus said we're supposed to do, that's what we're going to do. So everything we do gets, gets seen through the lens of making disciples. And there are times that an idea will come up Let's do this or let's do that. And whether, whether consciously or subconsciously, the question on our mind is, will it lead to making disciples? Will it lead to life change? If it won't, we don't. That's it, period. We want to stay laser focused on making disciples. So whether it's bingo or bazaars or you know bags of apples or whatever other alliteration I can come up with, if it doesn't fit into making disciples, it's not part of what Southfield does. We have one mission to fulfill for Jesus. Make disciples. How does it get done? Well, he gives us three words to define the process of making disciples. The first one says, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, as a kid and in college, I went to my fair share of missions conferences. A lot of them. And in every missions conference, at least one person would get up and they'd give a very similar line in their sermon. They'd say something like this, we need you. We need you to go to Africa. We need you to go to South America. We, we need you to go to Asia. We need you to go to Alaska. We need you to go out into the world to make disciples. That is incredibly inspiring. It's not completely what the passage is saying. This word is a present active participle. Present active participle in Greek doesn't mean that you're going to do something someday or that it doesn't refer to an event. It doesn't refer to a place or a location. A present active participle says you're doing this all the time. The better translation is as you are going. Wherever you are going, Whatever you are doing, make disciples. Very similar to what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. When, when Moses is talking to the people about their children, and he says, as you're walking along the way, teach them and instruct them. He doesn't say, drop them off at Sabbath school and have them learned. He says, as you're walking along the way, continue the teaching process. So here's what's cool about this. If you're a teacher, your daily job is disciple-making. If you're a police officer, your daily job is disciple-making. If you're a nurse, your daily job is disciple-making. If you're, if you're going and making widgets, guess what? You're there to make disciples. Disciple-making isn't a profession. It isn't a job for, for just the people who are pastors and missionaries. It's literally the job of anyone and everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. So a piece of disciple making is you gotta get, you gotta get out of the cloister. You gotta get, you gotta get out of the holy huddle, and you've got to walk Jesus out there too. 
Jesus isn't a Sunday thing that I pull out for an hour and then wrap him up, put him away, and say, see you next week. Jesus is someone I carry with me and live out all the time. I'm constantly living out my faith in front of everybody around me. We're all disciple makers. As we're going along the way, we're helping people to transform. So he says, go and make disciples. You're going along the way, make disciples. Then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I really believe that that baptizing, he was not simply referring to the moment of immersion. He's talking about all that goes into bringing a person into the kingdom of God. He's talking about the idea of you need to be telling people, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news, so that they might listen and say, I'd love to come into a relationship with Jesus too. And baptism is that, is that outward evidence that I've come into a relationship with God. It's, a, it's that way of telling the world, I belong to Jesus. So he says a piece of what you're to be doing is bringing new people into the family. That's a, that's a piece of why we're so passionate about continuing to speak the language of our culture and the culture that is to come. Be, because we, we've got to keep speaking in such a way that new babies are coming into the kingdom. Not, not, just, not just through births in our own families, but that there are actually people who are lost right now that are coming home to God. So as we're going along the way, we're sharing the gospel, the gospel is being shared, people are coming to Christ, they're being baptized as proof that growth is taking place, that discipleship is taking place. And then it says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I love, there's, there's such beauty in the way Jesus worded this. He didn't say, go into the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the, the, name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. He didn't put a, he didn't put a period after teaching them. He said, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus didn't say, I, teach them a particular curriculum. Teach them this particular area of theology instruct them in this particular body of knowledge. Make sure they know this. Too many believers think that if they're well-informed, they're good to go. You can be well-informed and completely disobedient to Jesus Christ. Jesus said discipleship isn't just about filling a person's head with knowledge. Discipleship is about making sure that they're living what they know. That there's true transformation taking place. And so, and so our teaching, our teaching is not just about factoids and, wow, isn't that fascinating? And I know more than you. And can you quote this Greek word? That's not what it's about. Evidence of whether or not we're truly moving forward in discipleship is, am I living what I'm learning? Am I living what I'm learning? Am I actually living out the gospel that I'm proclaiming or not? I really believe that this is a big piece of why for us, the smaller group, the journey group, and one-on-one -on -one relationships are vital. Sunday morning, I love, I love doing this Sunday morning. I love that we can gather and we can, we can open up the Word of God and that we can do this time of teaching. I love this. And you know what? Part of what I love about this is you all sit there and you look like you're actually, you're into it. We're not having a conversation. You are looking like, yeah, Dennis, that's me. Mm -hmm. Go, make, teach. Yeah, woo, woo, woo. <clears throat> but when we get in a small group, 
or when we get one-on-one, we start to expose where we really are with the Word of God. Maybe sometimes it's just accidentally. We, we talk about what we're doing in our life, and, and, and as a person who's discipling, you have to kind of stop and say, I, I'm sorry, what did you just say? And kind of back up and talk about that. Or maybe, maybe you're, you're sitting together with a person one-on-one and you're saying, I get, I get what that passage is saying, but I don't understand how I'm supposed to be living it out. You see, I think so much of the transformative part of teaching is relationship. So much of the transformative part of teaching is us involved in conversation about what we just learned. That's what really starts to get that rubber meeting the road as opposed to, oh yeah, were you there during that sermon series? Yeah, that was wonderful. I learned this, this, and this. Did you learn it or did you learn it? Did you learn it in your head or are you actually living out what it says? Jesus says, I want you to go into the world and train people to live what I say. Not just be able to parrot what I say, not just be more knowledgeable, but to actually live what I'm saying. Go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I'll tell you what, I look at this passage today, and I believe this is why we're still here 140 years later. We're not here because we were a phenomenal organization. We're not here because we had the best building in town. We're not here because because we had mastered some particular program that everybody loved being a part of. Throughout the years, there were always at least a handful of people who realized we've got to be about one mission and one mission only, and that's making disciples. I believe as I look at this list, part of the reason we're at the place of health we are today is because we live this and own this. We're not just saying that's neat, now let's go play bingo. But we're looking at this and saying, this is what disciple-making is all about. So, so even something like going out and shooting guns, that group is going out and shooting guns, and then they're doing what? They're stopping and looking what the Bible has to say together. Our, our group plays basketball together, and the way we play basketball is, as you're going along life's way, make disciples. Everything we're doing is Jesus on display. When we stop doing this, We really need to put a for sale sign in the lawn. We really need to stop pretending that we're the church of Jesus Christ. This is his only mission. This is us, folks. This is us. And the day we decide this is not us, whether intentionally or through drift, it's time to close. It's time to quit. I'm glad we're not there right now. I'm glad we're in a place that we, we actually buy and believe what Jesus says. And we're going to continue to do that. So hopefully if you're newer with us, you look at that and maybe you're going, yeah, that's where my church was, great. Maybe you're going, I never read that passage. Huh, this is us. This is us. This is who we are. Father God in heaven, I thank you for the clear instruction of Jesus on our mission. And as we move to Saturday and celebrate this birthday together, I, just, I have to say thank you to you for people that go all the way back to 1881 
who weren't just looking to open a Swedish social club, but they cared, they cared desperately about seeing people who were coming here from a, from a foreign land to find a home where they could worship God and where they could grow in their faith. I'm thankful that we've had people throughout the years that took discipleship seriously, who really cared, not, not just that we had a, a, a beautiful building or that we had a great reputation in the community or whatever, whatever a person might want in a church, but they said, if we're not making disciples, we're wasting our time. Keep that kind of focus here, God. I pray for the many, many, many years to come that those that come after us and lead this church, they will always zero in on this. They'll always know that if we're not making disciples, we're not a church. And that we'll live out your mission with passion. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll move to communion. Tables on the side and at the back, gluten-free on the sides of the platform as well as one at the back. And as you do this morning, as you walk to communion, I'd like to, I'd like to encourage you to, to give a, a thanks prayer to God for some way in which you've been influenced through this place. Some way this place has helped you to become a better disciple. It may be the name of a person. It may be an event you were a part of. It may be a season you went through. I mean, really, the list is endless. But just as you're going to communion, as you're headed back, give a thanks prayer to God for the way in which you are more of a disciple than you were uh, because of your association with Southfield. This is not a really hard message to uh, apply today and to determine where you are. I mean, look at it. Am I living my faith out in such a way, as I'm going along the way, are other people getting the opportunity to get to know Jesus? And if they are getting to know Jesus, am I living my life out in such a way that I'm helping them to understand what Jesus says so that they can live what Jesus says? It's that easy. Is that my lifestyle? If that's my lifestyle, I'm not just a disciple, but I'm a disciple maker. I'm making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It is probable that that discipleship mandate has no greater context with which to be lived, in which to be lived, than as a parent. You're going every day, every day along the way, you're getting to live out faith in front of your kids. Every day along the way, you're getting the chance to talk about what a relationship with Jesus looks like. And every day along the way, you're getting the chance to say, this is what Jesus says, are you living it or not? This morning, as we walk out of here, if you can, we'd like you to head on over just in front of the gym where Samantha's gonna be getting baptized today. And, and Samantha, I don't, I don't do this often with everybody, but I, I, you need to hear these words. Is Southfield doing its job? Before coming to Southfield, I didn't really believe in God, and I believed that there was a God, but I questioned if he ever did anything. After coming to Southfield, my belief was changed, not only to believe in God, but also to believe wholeheartedly in God as my Savior and Lord. I believe that being baptized is a way to show you wholeheartedly accept God and you accept your sins from the past 
and are ready to serve God faithfully. And the part that's wonderful about this, her baptism got delayed a little bit because she wanted to make sure that two of the people that were involved in discipling her, her mom and dad, were able to be part of this today. Guys, this, this is us. This is us. This is what we're all about. This is the thing. When we do this, this is the thing that should have you inside going, yes, this is what we're all about. So I'll see you out there in a few minutes if you can join us and uh, be praying that the... So it says that thunderstorms are going to start at 1130, which is when we're supposed to be standing in the DuPage River. Let's get God to push that off a little bit, okay? See you later.